lithographer and printer had been figured out how to sell these portraits of Abraham Lincoln. But an 11-year-old girl wrote to Lincoln and said that his face looked too thin and growing a beard might be good for his campaign. So he grew a beard. And it put this young lithographer and printer out of business. And suddenly, the demand for that, uh, that portrait of, of Lincoln led this young man to try to figure out what he was going to do next in life. And so in 1860, he developed a game called the Checkered Game of Life. Yes, his name was Milton Bradley. He set up a board that mirrored the standard checkerboard, took players from the starting square, and he called it infancy. And the ending square was a happy old age. Since dice were really known for gambling, he used a top to move across the board. Players collected points and moved forward as they hit squares for virtues such as bravery and honesty and perseverance. They were rewarded for going to college, getting elected to Congress, and accumulating wealth. Setbacks resulted from landing in poverty or prison or from negative virtues such as idleness and temperance or gambling. Due in part to the Industrial Revolution and American frontier, virtues had come not to be regarded just as an end in themselves, but really a means for advancement in life. Bradley made the connection between hard work and character, business success, and he said that people who landed on idleness, for example, had to move backwards. People that landed on honor moved forward. The checkered game of life taught and reinforced the idea that hard work and virtuous living would provide anybody with advancement. Bradley, the son of a craftsman, lived out a life just like this. He made a few games, sold a few hundred of them, and in that first year, 45,000 games were sold. Therefore, the Milton Bradley Company, one of our most famous game companies, began, and his career took off. One hundred years after Bradley debuted the checkered game of life, America had survived the Civil War, tamed the West, proven herself in two world wars, and lived out through the Great Depression. And to celebrate the hundredth year of the checkered game of life, the Bradley Company hired someone to recreate the game to reflect more of the current culture. And in 1960, the gamers replaced... Uh, happy old age, the end of the game was replaced with million dollar acres. The checkerboard became a winding road and the game pieces became cars where would you, you would add your family members to them. Each decade, uh, each time that this game was created, uh, different characteristics took place. Each decade that followed the, the update continued to shift the focus away from virtues towards um, materialistic rewards. Players got ahead, but not by uh, uh, not avoiding crime and laziness, but by just being lucky. All the things that Milton Bradley stood against when he left the dice out came to play in the 1960s game. And if a player uh, married or had a child in the game, mandatory gifts were ordered. Lucky day spaces and lotteries were created. And in fact, in 2010, the description for the game of life on their website says, do whatever it takes to retire in style with the most wealth at the end of the game. In 150 years, the game had reflected the shift away from living a life of hard work and focus and virtues and a strong worth ethic 
to a life about just getting anything and being lucky. Even in the 1990s, they added incentives in the game for community care and being green, but none of those incentives had anything to do with virtues. The game went for, for, from providing essential lessons on virtuous living and a modeling uh, achievement to just living a lucky life. Don't think that's the way Milton Bradley intended it. But that's the way that it shifted in culture. In fact, Bradley's game never really modeled the fruits of the fruit of the Spirit. But its original intent was to help you find contentment in a life of virtue and hard work. Characteristics that we know to be true for those of, that, of us that believe in Christ. You know, in Exodus... One of the few pieces of furniture that God commanded to be put in the tabernacle was the lampstand. Now I find it very interesting that God gave very, very specific instructions of how it was to be built, what kind of oil it should burn, where it was to be placed, and what was it, what was it supposed to illuminate. You know, Exodus is full of great descriptions of the lampstand and gives us really a symbolic uh, way of seeing the, our purpose about being light in a dark world. For example, except for in God's presence, the inner sanctum of the tabernacle, the lampstand was the only light source within the tabernacle walls. It was interesting that one of the priests' primary job was to make sure that it never burned out. One of the most intriguing details about the lampstand was where it was to be properly placed, next to the table that held the showbread, the loaves known as the bread of presence. The lamp was to be positioned in in a, a strategy and a place so that this bread would be illuminated, God's provision and presence would always be seen. For generations, people that heard about the lampstand would understand what it was supposed to symbolize and what it was supposed to reflect. Jesus would one day use this symbolization of his own life, the bread, the bread of life for his body. We exist as a church to shine light into darkness, a light that highlights God's glory and goodness and reveal God's Son in order that the world might know Him. It's interesting to to me that the lampstand was placed not to brighten the whole place, but to focus on the showbread, God's provision and God's presence. John 1, He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was, was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I wonder sometimes if churches will really reach their full potential if it's direct, if our goals are directly in relation to where and how we position where we shine our light and where it illuminates. Jesus said, When I am lifted up from earth, I will draw all men to myself. Because you know, light is inherently inviting. Nobody really wants to go to darkness, do they? Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. You're thinking, we could spend a lot of time tonight just talking about what it means to be light. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift here for a minute. And I'll come back to that. You know, I'm one of those people, and many of you in this audience tonight are one of those people that are trying to raise my kids to live in the light in a really dark world. Matthew 19, And then the little children were brought to Jesus for Him to place His hands on them and pray for them. 
But the disciples rebuked those who brought them to him. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven belongs to such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went from there. I don't know about you, but every time I hear this passage read, I hear about, uh, I read and I think about the indignant disciples, the ones who pushed the children away. And that's what most of the time I've ever heard the passage being taught. But I started looking at this passage and I started thinking about Parenting 101, thinking about the parents who brought their kids to him to be touched and prayed over. Wow, the basics of what it means to raise your kid in the presence of Jesus, to illuminate light on the one who, who, who provides for us. You bring your kids into the presence of God. Good lampstand placement, parents. A good place to put it. Parents' light shining on the bread of life. You know, in, in Ephesians, Paul writes about the family. Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. A child's response to a parent should reflect the child's attitude about God. And in Ephesians 5.24, Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. A wife's response to her husband should reflect how believers love and respond to Christ. In Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. A husband's response to his wife should reflect the very essence of the love and the gospel of grace that Jesus demonstrated us on the Christ, uh, on the cross. The very inner workings of a family is about lampstand placement, isn't it? What we do and where we put it and how we reflect God's presence and His provisions in our life. The New Testament suggests that every husband, wife, and child has a unique role in portraying God's love to each other and to to the next generation. As we see in Deuteronomy 6, the heart of God is primarily communicated through the heart of a family. You know, after years of transition... And waiting, the day approached when the people were about ready to enter the promised land. They were on the brink of some of their most promising days. And they gathered to listen to Moses, and he began recounting the journey that they had been through. They they had heard all this before. There was nothing new being said. And then he shifted his message in Deuteronomy 6. You think Moses is really concerned about maybe their newfound blessing might affect their faith. In fact, specifically, Moses seemed very concerned and very intent on addressing how they would transfer their faith to the next generation and the generation to follow. He wanted to make sure they didn't do some of the same mistakes that their parents had made. Then Moses had some of the, uh, uh, some profoundly different things to say than he said before. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and the gates. And then back in verse 12, he says, Be very careful. Do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And we know that for every one of us parents, we're to impress these things upon our children. We're to raise our children to, to see the God that provides the provision that is before us, the God's presence that is around us. And in a world that is so dark right now, we think about all of the children that are around us and how the, the church and the family are those light focusers, those lamp placers, 
for the next generation, the generation to come. A few observations about raising parents, raising children in light as parents and as a church family. As kids grow up, they're establishing beliefs and behaviors that will stay with them their entire life. You know, kids grow up fast, don't they? Our kids have a limited time with us. And we need to make the most of all the time that we have together. Moral foundations are generally placed in a kid's heart by the time that they reach nine. Spiritual foundations are generally formed by the time that they reach 15. And most people respond to Jesus before they're 18 years old. God's blessed us here at MacArthur Park. I looked last night with 267 children. Wow. Cradle roll through 12th grade here at MacArthur Park. We typically only have about 50 hours a year to influence those kids as a body, as a church, as a gathering. Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me doesn't doesn't uh, not welcome me, but also the one who sent me. You know, we know that it is a parent's primary responsibility, the spiritual nurturing and direction of their children. But we can't discount where the church falls into this in a dark world to be lamp focusers. And I don't know if for a lot of you in this room tonight that are parents of children here in our program, you know these things. But you know, I'm really proud of what's happening in our children and youth ministries here at MacArthur Park because I believe that there are a lot of parents and there are a lot of people in this church who are positioning light in the right direction. They're illuminating not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. In our children's ministry right now, we have some very, very specific roles that it takes on. The first one of those is to help kids know God's Word. You know, the good news of Jesus is timeless, isn't it? Boy, Apple just released a, a new iPhone 5. I don't have one, all right? Uh, I wasn't going to wait in line that long. Uh, I, I, Cameron was playing with his iTouch the other night, and it got iOS 6, for those of you that are, that are uh, Apple fans. It got all upgraded, but he was very, very disappointed because he found out something about technology that he didn't know. Sometimes when you upgrade it crashes and you lose everything that you had. And so we repositioned his iPod the other night and all the games he's played over the last year and a half, he gets to start over. <laughs> he's not happy. He wanted to just break it. And, and I was thinking about the changing culture and all of the things that uh, uh, the kids experience in technology, but you know, whether it's the new and the, the greatest TV show or the greatest movie out or the newest gadget or the next, uh, if you haven't heard, if you're an Apple fan, there's going to be a little mini iPad for kids, okay, and for parents that want to read something even smaller, all right? Or uh, maybe for senior adults that the iPhone is too small. But, but either way, they're going to build a little middle-sized middle one and they're going to they're market it just for kids. But one of the things that, the first thing that we loaded on Cameron's iPod when he got it was God's Word. And I catch him reading it. And he knew that that one didn't go away because it doesn't change. And I was thinking about all the things that went away on his iPod. There's one thing that remained. It never changed. And that was, that was the Word of God. We want to help kids know God's Word. We want to help them 
uh, interact with and be part of the fellowship of believers. We want our kids in this church, the youth group loaded up tonight to go to area-wide youth praise. They took so many kids they had to run the bus over to Sunset Ridge and come back and get more. That's awesome. We want those kids to stay in contact and find some of their best friends in the fellowship of believers. Some of my oldest two kids' best friends came here from here at MacArthur Park and people that are part of the fellowship of believers. We want our kids to interact. Uh, we want our kids to discover and help them discover God's plan for their life. Know that there really is a plan for them. and He really does have a purpose. And we want our kids to know how to serve others wholeheartedly in the name of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed or not, but know, interact, discover, and serve spell out the word kids. We did that on purpose. Because those are the core values of really our children and youth ministry. And we know that the spiritual direction of our, ch- our children is really a parent's primary responsibility. But as a body of Christ, we're here to help illuminate that light. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, as the body of Christ, we're to help parents maintain the lampstand. Keep illuminating the bright light on the bread of life, the one who nourishes, the one who feeds, and the one who ultimately saves our kids. You remember the story in John 6. When, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do you not work for food food that spoils, but food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you? On on Him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. Then they asked Him, What must we do? Uh, The work of God requires. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the One who who sent me. So they asked, What miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see and believe in you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who gives you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you this true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. You know, as those of us that are raising kids and those of us that are part of this great family here at MacArthur Park, we always want to make sure that our lampstand is not illuminating too much but focused on the one who really matters. The light focused on the one who ultimately feeds and saves. The God of provision. Philippians 1.9 And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's some guiding principles that we use as we work with kids here at MacArthur Park. Verse 9, Abound more and more in the knowledge and depth and insight. Our children would know more of God's love. Grow in His love and in love with others, so that we might be able to discern what is best. Our children discern what is best from what is good and what is better. Verse 10, 
be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Our children live life, lives that are marked by integrity and virtues and seek pure lives and relationships and motives. And verse 11, be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The living God would be evident in our kids' lives. You know, I gave you the illustration of Milton Bradley when we first began tonight. But life's more than a game, isn't it? Life is not a game that we play so that we can get to million-dollar acres. Life has eternal consequences. Life in Christ is beautiful. And as the body of Christ here at MacArthur Park, let me encourage you one thing. Lift up every one of our children, all 267 of them in prayer. And where you have, where you have a chance, this summer, talking to Cody and Kirby, over 200 volunteers had to take care of those kids during our three months of summer activities. I don't know if you figured it up or not, but if you add all of our families together, that means that we need more people than we have parents. So where you have a chance in our church, where someone asks you to volunteer to mentor or to be a classroom assistant or to be a teacher, and I know that I've heard it a thousand times because I've been there. I've taught for so many years. I want to let somebody else do that. Boy, we need some light pointers for our kids. We need some, place, some people that have been down the road before. God's blessed us with 267 kids, and I hope he adds another one tomorrow, 268 and 269. And we just keep going with children. But we never want to take any one of those for granted because we want every one of them to know their Savior. You know, one of the things I wanted to do tonight is just encourage you about uh, the precious kids that we have in our church, the ones that Jesus says, hey, you don't turn away, but you bring close to me. You let me touch them. Let me pray for them. Let me heal them. Let's be the, the church that supports our families. Whether we have single moms, unwed moms, dads that are not present, dads that are raising their kids by themselves. Let's be a family of believers that says, you know what, every kid, every kid in this place is going to know Jesus Christ. Everyone is going to be able to see a God that it provides for them. I gave you some statistics earlier about how so many young people come to Christ at the beginning of, uh, of their life in those first 18 years. And it's not to say that there are people that don't come to Christ all through their lives. But statistically, so many, so many, we have so much time, so little time between the ages of 0 and 18. And so we take advantage of every one of those, every one of those. And so where you, where you have a place to serve our children in this church, we hope you'll be a lamp bearer. We hope you'll help us point the light and illuminate the way and partner with their parents. And tonight, as we uh, gather tonight, we think about how great God is and how blessed we are to be a part of this family, a family that loves all ages of people. One of, one of the great things uh, that I've been blessed with over the last 18 years is to be able to work with many, many families and I, I get to kind of stand beside Don and Carol Hollins as they work with the senior adults right now. And I, I kid them because I think that working with senior adults is kind of like working with teenagers. There's so many similarities. 
You know, one of the things I told Carol and Don the other day was I was looking at the statistics in our church. One of the things that you find out about a healthy church is you make sure that there's not too many old people, not too many young people, that the ages are spread out all across the board. And, you know, in a church of 1,000 people here, 267 of them are kids. And if you start dividing the statistics out, what's really neat is we're one healthy church. We keep having babies and we keep getting older. Wow. And what, is, what, a, what a neat thing is to see our families draw together and be able to, to uh, illuminate that light together. And so if there's anything that this family can do for you tonight, uh, we ask you to come as we stand and sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.